Welcome to the ENA Podcast. This is the Big March ENA Podcast episode. Got a lot of ground to cover because it's a busy spring here for the Emergency Nurses Association. We're talking to a bunch of folks today about a number of great things going on. Everything from Day on the Hill to TNCC 8th edition, the national call for candidates for the 2019 elections, Spring Regional Symposium, Emergency Nursing 2019 in awesome Austin, and also ENA is going to be at the National Student Nurses Association Conference next month. And I'm happy to have with us today the 2019 Emerging Professional Liaison to the Board of Directors, Shannon Kane. Shannon, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing great too, Shannon. I appreciate you taking some time to join us on the podcast and talk a little bit about ENA being at NSNA. And I, the thing that's jumped out at me right off the bat after having a chance to talk with you a little bit is that a year ago at this time, you were just getting ready to go to NSNA as a student. So talk a little bit about what, uh, what's different this year for you now that you are in the ED working. You are obviously playing a, a, a prominent role in ENA leadership and you're also going to be at NSNA, I understand. Absolutely. So this time last year, I was still a nursing student, and I had the opportunity to go to um, NSNA as a student delegate for General Assembly and um, as a representative from my nursing school. At this time last year, I was not um, in the emergency department as a nurse. Um, I, you know, I thought it's what I wanted to do, but I wasn't 100% sure. So having the opportunity to go to NSNA was great because ENA was there, um, Jeff Solheim was there, and I got to talk to a lot of people from the ENA about you know, what it meant to be involved and what it meant to be an emergency department nurse. And so now this year, getting to go as a representative for the ENA is a, a huge honor for me because I'm able to talk with nursing students and, and get them involved in more professional organizations, um, whether they're interested in working in the emergency room or not, um, tell them about the resources that we have available to them as students. So now that you've been around ENA for quite some time now, um, you know, and you've gone through this transition that you talked about, you know, what are some of the things that you're seeing that ENA is doing to, you know, evolve and meet the needs of nursing students today? Today, um, ENA is uh, developing a lot more for nursing students regarding mentorship. We have a mentorship program that student members have access to online. Um, a lot more networking opportunities for students um, and just giving students the resources to be successful as they transition from student nurses to um, actual real registered nurses um, and just helping them figure out if the emergency department is a right fit for them and help them figure out what exactly emergency department nursing looks like in the real world. Um, ENA is taking a stand to really reach out to nursing students and there's gonna be a lot more to come from ENA specifically for nursing students in the future because it's an opportunity for students to get involved whether they are already in their emergency room or not. We have a lot of resources coming out for them and it's very, very exciting. Um, also, lots of scholarship opportunities that, that students have available to them online. Um, and it's just very, very exciting. I'm excited that um, nursing students will be able to get more involved and there'll be a lot more um, coming for them in the future from ENA. So flashing back to last year, um, did you know that the ED was where you were headed as a nurse? I did not have a secure job in the emergency room. I knew that it was definitely one of my top choices. 
but I wasn't 100% sure. But I joined the Emergency Nurses Association before I had my job. So I was still a student nurse and um, it was just a great networking opportunity to be able to talk with ED nurses and really figure out for myself whether it was a good fit for me. So do you remember sort of interacting at the ENA booth or, or crossing paths with ENA members or Jeff or, or people like that? You know, what was sort of your interactions or what do you remember about, uh, you know, what was your, I guess, better question? What was your lasting memory of ENA walking away from NSNA last year? Yeah, so I actually, um, I was super nervous because I really wanted to talk to people from ENA, but, you know, it's, I looked at Jeff like a celebrity because I knew that how involved he was. He was the president and so I kind of just went up to the booth and I spoke to them and I talked to people about what ED nursing was like for them and their career paths. And there was such a huge presence of ENA at the conference. Um, there were a bunch of talks that were led by Jeff at the conference. And I was really able to explore um, the resources that ENA had for me, talk to Jeff about some of my, um, my honors project research, which was great, and just get some guidance from them there. And I walked away from the conference really seeing that the, the impact that ENA was having um, both internationally and for, for nursing students specifically. So I was very, very impressed and very excited to get more involved with ENA um, as a student and then once I graduated. So this year, I'm sure you're gonna spend some time at the booth and you're gonna have an opportunity to meet nurses who may be standing exactly the same spot you were a year ago. So in addition to being able to hand out some free swag and to you know really kind of you know, share the story of ENA, I imagine you're gonna get a chance to share a little bit of your story. What, uh, if somebody's nervous about meeting you or, or nervous about approaching ENA, what, how, how would you sort of reassure them that uh, this is a good opportunity for them to come and meet you and talk to you as sort of a peer, but also to learn more about the association as a whole? I would encourage them to just do it, um, to just, you know, remember that as a student, you have just as much of an impact as people who are already nurses. And it's important not to lose sight of the value that, that your insight can provide to an organization like the Emergency Nurses Association. Just have that confidence in yourself that we're looking to help you and we are here for you as a resource and you have a lot to, a lot of input as well. And so we are just as excited to talk to you guys as I'm sure you are to talk to us. So definitely just come up to us, seek us out, and, um, and we're happy to, to talk with you and, and hear your point of view and what you're looking for and, and share what Emergency Nurses Association can offer to you as a student. Well, Shannon Kane, the 2019 Emerging Professional Liaison, uh, it sounds like you're excited to go back even though you're in a different role and you can share some of your insights and I'm sure it'll be exciting for some of the uh, students that are in attendance to meet you and to hear a little bit more from you personally. And um, who knows, maybe they'll be standing in your spot a year from now as the, the 2020 Emerging Professional Liaison. Absolutely. I am so excited. Um, it's just incredible to look back and see how much has changed over this past year. And I'm excited to talk to as many students as I can and get to know you guys. So please come and meet me at the ENA booth at NSNA. I am so, so excited to talk to you. Well, Shannon Kane, I appreciate you taking some time to joining us on the ENA podcast. And you can certainly keep track of what Shannon's doing at NSNA by following her on Twitter. And we'll share some of that information with you in just a moment. Shannon Kane, thank you again for joining us. And we'll be back in just a moment with more of the ENA podcast. To learn more about ENA membership opportunities, visit ena.org membership. And be sure to follow Shannon Kane on Twitter at Shannon Kane 2 during NSNA as she shares photos and other highlights from the event next month. 
Welcome back to the ENA podcast. Again, this is Dan Campana, Senior Manager for PR and Communications. Uh, as your host today, as we uh, we run around and talk about a lot of different things, exciting things up and coming with ENA. And one of the big things coming up uh, from an education standpoint is TNCC 8th edition, which is just around the corner. And I'm happy to uh, welcome Joe Blansfield, the TNCC 8th edition review committee chairperson uh, to the podcast. Uh, welcome, Joe. How is everything today? Everything is great, Dan. Thank you. So, uh, so Joe, uh, I understand you've been with ENA for uh, for going on uh, coming up on your 40th anniversary. So, I imagine that you've seen some iterations of TNCC over the years. And um, just tell me a little bit about what it's been like to be a part of the the review committee as as you've been working to build this new edition. Well, um, it's been humbling and it's been inspiring uh, because we realize how important a program TNCC is because it becomes the international standard really for trauma nursing care. Uh, and so it's a responsibility that the work team uh, didn't take lightly. Um, and, and I think, uh, I think the membership will be, will be pretty pleased with the product because uh, not only does it represent the current state of the art in trauma care, and it's a little forward looking in that regard, uh, but it also uh, changes the paradigm in how this material is taught uh, because we're, we're, we're taking a facilitated learning or a flipped classroom uh, approach. So when you, when you talk about being a part of this committee, just in a real kind of simple way, really, is this a complete redo? Is this a modification? How would you sort of classify somebody who is familiar with maybe previous editions compared to this one? What's the thing that will be the most noticeable to them? Uh, so I did have the opportunity to be on the seventh edition work team. I was a section editor um, with another uh, half a dozen or so uh, members. Um, and we have a, a similar structure in that um, I'm the chair and there's a handful of section editors. And then, of course, we have um, ENA staff and, um, uh, and an admin faculty uh, representative. So the structure has been the same. But I think the, uh, the product will be, will be markedly different because, as I said, the facilitated learning as well. Um, major changes I think people will see is that um, the, the uh, I'd like to say the course is a little leaner and leaner. We have fewer chapters, uh, but we have not sacrificed content. So we've, uh, we've, we've uh, incorporated some of the material um, in a more integrated fashion. Um, and um, and the, the, the course will, will just be a little over a day and a half long. So um, uh, we're putting a lot of the content um, um, in front of the in front of the learner, um, kind of on an individual basis, uh, so they'll be able to interact more with the uh, with one another and with the instructors once they get the class. So those are probably some of the major changes that I think the membership will see. Okay, um, so you know, recently in the Chicago area, there was a uh, a TNCC eight pilot, and I had an opportunity to see a little bit of what the instruction was like uh, for the people that were there, but also talked to some course instructors and course directors and. Uh, there is a lot of palpable anticipation and excitement for this for some of the things that you just talked about in terms of the flipped classroom and the technology that is is being used and the interactiveness that this is involving. What what sort of feedback have you been hearing uh, across the, the the various pilots that have occurred, uh, you know, in these last few months? And really, how does that inform the you know the stretch run of the process for you guys? It's gratifying, uh, to be honest. I think. Um, Everyone's worked very hard and um, and really worked at a breakneck pace uh, to uh, to you know meet the benchmarks that ENA has laid out for us. Uh, so the team gets all the credit 
and um, and, uh, and and ENA staff as well for uh, for for collaborating with one another. Um, but the uh, this is a I think it, it represents not just as I said the state of the art in trauma care today, uh, but a, a novel way in which to teach it. Um, so I think the I think the membership is justified in in, the, in their sense of anticipation because. Um, the pilots we've I've been to a couple myself and hosted one here in, in Boston. Um, so uh, it, it, as I said, it's been gratifying, and I think I think people will be pleased with the product. So, as somebody who has worked so closely with this, uh, when you get to that point where you know that it is out and instructors are, are getting themselves up to speed, and, and these classes start to happen. You know, really, what, where, did, where does your mind go once you know this is out and about? Are you still, you know, going to be looking for it, for that feedback? I mean, what does the committee's work once this has been released? Well, we're doing our best to get it right the first time, but, yeah. um, but of course, of course, uh, you know, there, I'm sure, you know, the state of the art in uh, in, in trauma nursing care does does change as uh, as we we learn and gain more experience. So we need to be prepared uh, to to adjust as the as the as the program evolves. And I think I think that's one of the things that ENA is looking to do as well as to stay current um, with uh, uh, with reprints and, um, and and keeping the slides current and the trauma nursing process stations current. So we'll we'll have the ability to incorporate that as as uh, as the state of the art continues to evolve. Um, so. Uh, We'll certainly stay connected, but our next tasks will be, of course, the instructor update and the instructor manual, and um, and you know, and trying to make sure that everyone has what they need to to uh, continue to provide this program. Okay, well, Joe, it sounds like it's been uh, quite a journey, and you know, I, I can tell that there's some excitement on your side as well, just to get this out to uh, to people who, you know, uh, obviously they look for this for their everyday work and to enhance their, their clinical abilities. So uh, like you said, it, it sounds like it's gratifying work to know that this is going to be reaching such a large you know, segment of people who are interested in it, but also to create some larger standards and, and you know, best practices around. So uh, Joe Blansfield from the TNCC 8th Edition Review Committee, I, I appreciate you taking uh, a few minutes for us today. And any other thoughts, anything last mi- uh, messages to people who are, are sitting and waiting for, for the new edition to come out in a couple of weeks? Um, just be patient and, and give us your honest uh, feedback because uh, we certainly want this to meet the needs because uh, we're all in this together to uh, uh, to improve outcomes and save lives. Um, so uh, we want to do the best we possibly can. Very good. Well, Joe, appreciate your time and uh, best of luck to you uh, uh, the rest of this journey and beyond that. Okay. Thanks, Dan. So that's the uh, that's Joe Blansfield from the TNCC 8th Edition Review Committee. And we'll be back with more of the ENA podcast in just a moment. Looking for the latest news and information about the upcoming release of TNCC 8th edition? Follow us on social media or go to our website, ena.org education TNCC to sign up for notifications. So we're moving on here in the ENA podcast. Uh, welcome back, Dan Campana, Senior Manager for PR and Communications. Happy to welcome Rob Kramer, ENA's Director of Government Relations, to the podcast. Good afternoon, Rob. How are you today? Thanks, Dan. Um, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, Happy to be talking to you about Day on the Hill 2019. I I had the pleasure of being able to attend Day on the Hill last year to see how you guys uh, really help members understand the value of, of 
you know, being able to be advocates, first frontline advocates for things that are important to emergency nursing and healthcare in general. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, what you've learned over the last few years about really the the exciting part of getting to, to do something like this, to go to the nation's capital and, and talk to people who are the, the, the movers and shakers in Washington, D.C. for the things that are important on all topics, but certainly healthcare and emergency nursing. Well, yeah. So, um, you know, the event itself over the last few years has really evolved. Um, we've increased our numbers in terms of attendees. We've also, you know, every year we kind of look anew at what our priorities are and, and how we're going to, uh, you know, advocate for those priorities um, up here in DC. Um, I think, you know, what I've observed in my time at ENA in terms of the value of this event for our membership is that it really provides an opportunity um, for our members who are, you know, either experienced or, or not experienced in, in grassroots advocacy to come to Washington, DC to see what it's like to meet with their, you know, members of Congress or their, um, you know, their senators uh, to see what it's like, you know, in terms of life on the Hill. Um, and really, it provides them an opportunity to speak directly with those uh, decision makers who are going to be, you know, enacting uh, laws at the federal level for, for the, the foreseeable future. Um, and it provides sort of a direct link between them and their representation. Um, in terms of ENAs, um, you know, the value that we get out of um, Day on the Hill is that it, it's a tremendous opportunity for the organization to. Um, you know, to raise awareness about our priorities. It's a great opportunity for ENA to um, build name recognition um, with only, you know, not only members of Congress and their staff, but also other organizations here in Washington, D.C. Um, having a, a Hill event and a day on the Hill is a tremendously visible, um, you know, way to show people who you are and, and what you're about. So I'm really excited to, um, you know, to get, you know, get involved this year. And, you know, as we, uh, continue to plan and execute uh, Day on the Hill 2019. One of the things, it's funny that you mentioned that. So one of the things I picked up on last year was both with people, members who were, have done Day on the Hill in the past and also a couple of new people, the level of excitement that they have for this opportunity was almost equal, which was, kind of struck me as, as interesting because they see the value in doing this. And it doesn't matter whether they've done it once or done it multiple times. They, you know, they're excited to have the opportunity. What, what's the kind of feedback that you get from members about why they want to do this and why they want to keep coming back year after year? Well, that's a great question. And I think for uh, the members that have, have never done it before, I really do think it, it provides them with an opportunity to really kind of see how the sausage is made here in Washington, D.C. It provides them with a great opportunity to, to get a feel for the ins and outs of a congressional office and to really kind of see the fruits of their, what we would call their, you know, their advocacy labor, um, you know, the efforts that they're um, putting forward at the grassroots level to, you know, not only join and, and engage with their government affairs uh, committees at the state level, um, but also engage with what we're doing at the national level with our action alerts. And it really provides them with a sense of how it all actually works. Um, for those that are returning, I think a lot of them have a, an, sort of an internal desire and a passion for advocacy. Um, we, we certainly get, you know, a few, quite a few members who are, um, you know, returning today on the Hill. Some have been multiple times. Um, you know, right now, I would say that about um, a little less than, than half of attendees um, currently registered for Day on the Hill at this moment are returning, um, 
you know, returning attendees to the event. So it really does show you that we, we do get a nice groundswell of new supporters um, every year for Day on the Hill. And that's really what we're kind of, um, you know, aiming towards is to get, you know, new people involved and to get, um, you know, any members who are interested in learning more about advocacy to come to Day on the Hill to see how it's done. And, and the day on the hill, which is typically Wednesday, is obviously the sort of the main event. But Tuesday was interesting as well because there's a lot of education that goes into it. Um, you're, you bring some speakers in who kind of talk about the world that Washington, D.C. is, whether they're a, an actual member of Congress or whether they're somebody who's just an observer and really has some insights. But there's also some, you know, a, some role playing. There's some other things to really kind of help members be prepared. And you guys put on a good show in terms of helping them be prepared for those conversations and really helping them, uh, speaking of the members, know what they really are trying to accomplish. Um, how important is that that training day, I guess you could call it, on Tuesday to really help members understand that these are not normal meetings in certain respects. I mean, there's a there's a, a cadence to them. They, they move quickly and you really have to hone in on messaging to make sure you're maximizing your time with staffers or the, the people in Congress themselves. Right. So as you alluded to, you know, Day on the Hill is really a two day event. Um, typically, we've held the event over the course of a Tuesday and Wednesday um, during a week when Congress is in session. Of course, as you mentioned, Wednesday is typically our day on the hill. Um, there's really no programming for the event other, on that day, other than to you know gather everybody up in, at the hotel and and send y'all you know send them off to to Capitol Hill to uh, advocate for our positions. Um, Tuesday is an incredibly important day for Day on the Hill, um, not only for those that are attending as first timers because they do get all the training as you mentioned, but it really is a valuable resource for uh, returning advocates as well because they get kind of a refresher. Um, and they get any, you know, sort of new information that we may have on, um, you know, effective meetings and things like that. And as you mentioned, um, you know, the programming on Tuesday is really all about training and instruction for our advocates on our priorities for that day on the Hill, meaning the legislation um, that we're going to request uh, members of Congress and the Senate to, to support, um, as well as, you know, instruction and, and some training and some examples of, um, what is a good Hill meeting? What does a, a proper Hill meeting look like? Um, so yeah, it really is a, a valuable day. It's an incredibly important day for members to attend. Um, we do try to get some speakers from the Hill to come in and talk specifically um, from their perspective about the bills that we are advocating for, that we're supporting. Um, but no, like you mentioned, we also you know provide quite a bit of training in the afternoon for you know, not only identifying what our priorities are and how they can sort of talk through their arguments to uh, present the case to members of Congress, um, but also practicing uh, their meetings as well. So it's an incredibly important day, um, especially for members who haven't attended before, but it's also, I think, you know, members who have attended will get something new from, from Tuesday's sessions as well. Very good. And obviously right now, you know, the registration is still open and you guys are still hard at work on putting that program together. So um, you know, we'll get people information on where they can look for all that on the website. But if they're interested in attending, uh, talk about the best way to make that happen right now. Sure, sure. So uh, currently we have um, about 97, well, exactly 97 members uh, registered. That's as of today, March 4th, uh, 2019. Uh, registration, open registration is still there for another week or so until the 12th. Um, any members that aren't currently registered or um, are in excuse me, any members that aren't currently registered that would like to attend uh, really should reach out to their state council president. Um, 
Each president was provided with a number of registration codes that they can distribute to members who wish to attend. Um, as a note, you cannot register for the event without one of these codes and only the presidents have them. So if you're interested, if you're listening to this and you're interested in attending Day on the Hill, uh, please reach out to your state president to, to inquire about that. Um, as spots fill up, states will be putting together waiting lists. Um, so even if your state has distributed its three codes, uh, you can still get on the waiting list um, and try to get on that way. Um, we will be distributing additional spots to states beginning next week, um, but you still have a week to contact your state president and register. Well, it sounds like it's going to be uh, even a little bit bigger and, and, and bolder than it was last year. And I, it, it sounds like that's the way it's been. It just keeps growing because the demand and the interest keeps growing. So I look forward to seeing what, uh, what it all, what, how it all comes together in May. And uh, certainly, as Rob mentioned, if you're interested in attending, uh, reach out to your state council president to find out uh, how to make that happen or to get on a waiting list if your state is already filled up. Sounds like there'll be opportunities for people, uh, whether their state is filled or not. Uh, you know, you guys do your best to accommodate as many people as you can, make sure that as many states are as represented as possible, correct? That's right. The, the overarching priority is for us to have every state represented at Day on the Hill. Um, and we do try our best to accommodate any states that want to request additional members uh, for 2018, although you know it doesn't really provide us with any promises moving forward uh, this year. But I can say that last year we did, I don't think we turned anybody away that wanted to register. I think every state that requested additional spots were provided with those additional spots and were able to register members that wanted to go. So I think that's one important thing to, to, keep, keep, your, uh, to keep an eye on here is that you know, we do have additional spots available. Uh, reach out to your state president. Very good. Rob Kramer, Director of Government Relations for ENA, thank you for joining us uh, on the podcast. And uh, we wish you success as you uh, get through the planning and execution of Day on the Hill. And so, uh, you know, if you're a listener to the podcast, stay tuned. We may be uh, even doing some podcasting from Day on the Hill in May. So you'll have to stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, thank you, Rob, for joining us. And uh, we'll certainly make sure that uh, you know, we share some inf additional information with people about how to find out uh, about what's gonna be happening at Dan the Hill as that information comes out. I appreciate it, Dan, thanks a lot. We'll be back with more of the ENA podcast in just a moment. ENA's Day on the Hill 2019 takes place May 21st and 22nd in Washington, DC. For more information, contact your state president about registrations or for general details, visit ena.org slash events and click on the Day on the Hill tab. And we're back on the ENA podcast, the uh, spectacular March episode where we're talking about numerous topics of interest, including the call for candidates for the 2019 national elections. I want to welcome Matt Powers, the chairman of the uh, Nominations and Elections Committee, to the podcast. And how are you today, Matt? Welcome. Great, Dan. Thanks. I'm doing doing really well. And and uh, hello, everyone. Uh, so, Matt, obviously, you've, um, you know, people rec should recognize your name as a former ENA president and obviously filling in as a interim executive director in 25, 2016. Uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about your role this year as the chairman of the Nominations Elections Committee? What, what all goes into that? Well, thanks for asking. Yeah, first of all, so this is uh, uh, my second year on the Nominations Elections Committee, and uh, this year the committee did appoint me as the, uh, as the uh, chairperson. 
And so what we're really trying to do uh, this year is really give the candidates a good feeling out there of what it's really like and the competencies that are uh, needed to uh, run for just not only the board, but also for uh, the nominations and elections committee. Sometimes people uh, don't know everything that's entailed and don't know if they feel qualified or not. So we've uh, built uh, competencies on both levels so people can uh, take a look at that. Uh, One interesting thing for this year is what we're going to do is actually have a self-assessment with a competency grid that each candidate will be able to uh, fill out. So they'll be able to recognize areas that they're strong in, areas that they might need improvement. And then uh, we'll also help you know, guide those that may not feel ready of where to get those resources to uh, go ahead and uh, and uh, get that experience or improve their skills. When it comes to candidates for either NEC or for the board, uh, there's no prototypical person that is good for any of those positions. This is why you put out this call, which runs from March 8th until April 12th this year. Uh, there's no prototypical person that you're looking for. You want to get as many different ideas of the types of people that are among the membership to, to enter, to, to plug into these boards. Um, you know, how, how do you sort of tell people that, you know, that you don't have to have X qualifications or have worked for X number of years? I mean, it's really an open field for people who think that they, they might want to give this a try, right? Right, that's right. So right now, uh, what's currently in the uh, the bylaws, it is written uh, that they're an active member, have attended uh, past general assembly, have an unrestricted, um, you know, RN license. And uh, what we really are trying to do is get uh, the best candidates on the the ballot uh, that would make up a high functioning uh, board. So if you if someone were to go through all of the different competencies, there's almost uh, an impossibility that one person would have everything. But what one area that someone else doesn't have, someone else may have on another area. So it's almost like a complete team approach to uh, making decisions of the organization on the board of directors level. Okay. So I'm sure over the years you've run into people who said, well, I think I might want to try it. I'm not sure if I should, or, you know, maybe they hem and haw a little bit about it. What are some of the things that you maybe will let that person know to kind of help them understand whether the time is right for them, or maybe, maybe they need to look at some other opportunities, maybe on the local level or on the state level. I mean, what, what is sort of the advice that you give to people who, you know, have an interest in, taking their, their participation in ENA to a ne- the next level, but maybe aren't quite sure what opportunity is the right one for them when it comes to leadership. Right. Good question. And one thing that I always do hear people uh, say that they want to get involved and they want to get involved nationally. So one of the uh, things uh, that uh, to start to really look at more of the national level is to you know, get involved and apply when the uh, uh, national committee calls end up coming out. Uh, That'll give them a little bit of a brief, larger overview of more of the national organization. Uh, With that too, I mean, if, if people, you know, and just like myself, you know, you kind of, you know, grow at a, um, uh, maybe at some officer level or board level at a chapter level. And then, uh, you know, that kind of just, you know, buys you in as a, a very large learning process. And then you move up to maybe the state level and different uh, positions there, such as, you know, a, a director at large or secretary treasurer, uh, then move up to the president-elect president, president uh, position. And then uh, from there, after you gain experience of more of the uh, local or the state council, then you may want to consider uh, moving up to the, uh, to the national level. 
which is more of looking at the entire uh, organization as a whole and what they can go ahead and and give uh, the tools for the memberships to take care of their patients. But part of it, too, is uh, there needs to be a certain level of uh, business acumen. What we do find is on the national level, it's more about uh, governance and not so much about operations. However, on the state and the uh, chapter level, there's a little bit of a conflict because those uh, members that are serving those roles do uh, both um, governance decisions and also the operational pieces. So many times when people get to the national level, they are looking at, um, they're used to the operational pieces and working as uh, nurses or managers of emergency departments, they're used to those operational pieces. So it's more of that uh, governance uh, oversight that uh, we do provide um, orientation on, and also uh, as people want to get up to that national level, that there are resources out there for them already that they can go ahead and utilize. Um, Board Source is uh, uh, it has many pu- publications out there that they can go ahead and uh, start to look about. You know, what is it like to be the best board member you can, et cetera. Okay, so the call for candidates opens up on March 8th and runs through April 12th. Um, just briefly, tell me a little bit about once you've got the, the, all the candidates that have entered their names, uh, just briefly tell me a little bit about what that process is and uh, remind everybody when voting begins later this year. Right, so uh, you know when, when that ends up uh, starting, the uh, nominations elections uh, committee will go ahead and uh, review the uh, applications, their responses to their questions, and uh, their self-assessment on their uh, uh, competency grid. And we will conduct uh, interviews with them and ha- just have more of that personal conversation of, uh, of them to be able to ask you know questions of the uh, different roles and also for us, if they don't feel ready or they want to go ahead and increase their skills, that we're able to go ahead and give them their, their resources. So some people may uh, put in that, an intent to run for a candidate, uh, may be very strong and ready to go, and others, uh, it's more of a, you know, seeking out, is this the right time? And so we want to help them, guide them through that process. Okay. And then uh, the election obviously begins in September and wraps up at Emergency Nursing 2019 in Austin and on October 2nd. So it sounds like the, the work is just getting ready to begin for you guys on the committee. Right, it is. And we're really, really excited uh, about this. And we're, we're really trying to grow um, the committee and the uh, membership and the candidates to to really get out there and be the really the, the right fit and really engage the members to uh, really uh, get those uh, skills needed to uh, function as a high-functioning board. Absolutely. Well, Matt, Matt Powers, uh, the chairman of the Nation- Nominations and Election Committee, I appreciate you taking some time to join us here on the ENA podcast, what I'm calling the uh, podcast palooza with uh, multiple um, multiple people talking to us about some great things happening as we, uh, we get into the spring months and a lot of exciting things moving forward. So uh, thank you for sharing some time with us and, and talking a little bit about uh, the call for candidates and what will be an exciting time as we, uh, we build up toward the national elections later this year. All right, great. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. And, uh, and uh, we're available if anyone were to have any questions about uh, their candidacy or running, uh, you know, feel free to uh, uh, go ahead and contact us. Absolutely. Matt Powers from the Nominations and Elections Committee joining us on the ENA podcast, and we'll be back with more right after this. 
The 2019 national election call for candidates runs through April 12th. For more information or to apply, visit ena.org and click on the Leadership and Governance tab. Back here on the ENA podcast, as we march through just a ton of different topics this month or in this episode, and uh, I'm happy to have Tammy Wielden from Washington State. She is the 2019 Washington ENA State Council President. Uh, Tammy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So uh, we're talking today a little bit about uh, the big event coming up at the end of April, the Spring Regional Symposium. It'll be the third in ENA Symposium series events, and we're coming up to the Pacific Northwest. So, um, Tammy, I imagine, you know, as this process of planning for this has gone along, uh, I imagine there's a little bit of excitement. Tell me a little bit about uh, what your, uh, you know, your thoughts about ENA coming up to, to Seattle in a couple of weeks. Yes, we're really excited, our council um, and board members, to bring this kind of education to our local area. Seattle has a lot of fun things to do. It gives an opportunity for members in Washington and Oregon to not have to travel so far away, but to come closer to home and have really quality, excellent education opportunities for us. So earlier this week, the uh, offerings, the program was released online. Uh, so you can, people can visit ena.org slash events and uh, click on Spring Regional Symposium to see the program that's coming up. And just at first glance, uh, some of the things that jumped out at me, you know, there's a very specific panel about uh, disaster preparedness or disaster response in Washington state. Uh, key topics like how to work with the uh, LGP, LGBTQ uh, population in the ED. Uh, it sounds like there's a nice array of things that are going on. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you're excited to see when it comes to the educational offerings and the sessions people will be able to, uh, to, to check out when they're in Seattle at the end of April. Well, as you mentioned, um, disaster preparedness and MCI is a huge topic. As emergency nurses, we're always worried about when that big event is going to happen and how we're going to manage it. And this particular um, panel um, is around um, disasters that have happened locally. And so the, the people that are participating actually work through that live event and will be able to share some of their lessons learned from those activities. And um, we also have a speaker, um, a dear friend of mine, that will be speaking on the LGBTQ community. And that's another area where um, we are hearing we want to know more about how to really uh, take care of that patient population and really provide that population with the best care possible and treat everybody with um, you know, quality and fairness and respect and, and really do a good job at that. So people are really excited to hear about um, those topics. The other, another topic that kind of jumped out at me was a discussion of dark web and, and sort of internet safety and how to talk with children about those things. Um, that one struck me as kind of interesting because I guess, you know, if you're not working in the ED, sometimes you lose track of the interactions that a nurse or anybody who works in the ED might have with children as they're negotiating some different things in their lives. Um, that topic kind of jumped out at me. What, what are some of your thoughts on, on what the message is in that session? I think it's going to be great. As we know, kids these days have more and more access to social media, and um, it, it's just there's so much out there, and really for us as nurses to be aware of what things kids are being exposed to, besides parenting or grandparents, to know what things that our kids are um, 
reaching out and finding on the internet and how you know we can interact with that and really be able to talk to uh, kids and their family members about uh, safety issues as we learn them as well. So um, there's just so much, um, including you know the internet and the rise in human trafficking and being able to identify where there's really a need to help our patients. Um, things on this lecture should be really helpful for all of us. So one of the things that's really impressed me, having been a part of all three of the symposiums in one form or another since these were launched last year, the diversity of topics and the ability to bring in uh, local you know, experts and, and subject matter uh, folks that are from the area really has been uh, a, a draw that I think people have really enjoyed having the opportunity to meet and network with people that are in their region or we do have you know, members that do travel from other states outside the region to come attend these events. So it, it, the diversity of topics uh, is really jumping out at me for, for this particular symposium and um, that doesn't happen by accident. I know there was some planning and time that was put into coming up with the right program um, it sounds like you're really proud of what uh, what will be put on display for, for everybody who attends. Absolutely. Um, it It's just, there's so many hot topics and being able to draw from um, local um, professionals to be able to share their experience and their knowledge is really a great opportunity. Uh, exam for example, Bill Schuler from Oregon State, um, he has a really huge passion around patient safety, and he does a really good lecture. He, um, he really focuses in on being safe, providing safe care, safety for staff as well as patients, um, and he really does a great job with that. And in line with um, the MCI and disaster preparedness, um, our own, from my local community, Chief Dave LaFave, um, is Cowlitz 2 Fire and Rescue Chief, and he um, has stepped up and is willing to work with us, and his experience is phenomenal. He um, has a lot of training and is a leader in the EMS community and how we hand off from those disasters and those patients in the field from EMS to emergency is so important. And he has qualifications as a national type one incident commander. So he really just will bring a lot of experience and share with us with some key points on what we can take away to be more prepared. Very good. Uh, so one more question before we wrap up here, Tammy. Uh, for those of us that uh, have not had a chance to visit the Pacific Northwest or visit Seattle, what, uh, what's something that uh, you would encourage people to, uh, to look out for and check out when they've got some time in Seattle? Or you know, just give us, a, uh, give us an idea of what we can expect um, you know, with springtime in Seattle. Well, Seattle's always fun. You know it's probably always going to be raining at some point while you're there, but... <laughs> You can't just bundle up and go out in the rain. So Seattle, we have uh, Pike Street Market. Down on the waterfront front is really fun. The Space Needle, there's just so many things to do. We also, um, just north just north of um, Seattle will be the um, tulip festivals, and all the tulips will be in bloom. So there's, you know, there's just everything from art and culture to outdoors, family things. Snoqualmie Pass isn't that far away for any outdoor enthusiasts. Um, just a lot of activities. 
Well, it sounds like it'll be a, a great experience for people who come out. And if, for those that have attended the symposium series in the past, uh, they certainly can attest to the quality of the education, but being able to go to some of these different locations around the country is also a bonus that's added into it. So uh, Tammy Wielden, the 2019 Washington State Council President, I appreciate you taking a few minutes to, to share some of the, the sites and, uh, and thoughts about what people can expect when they, uh, for, the, for the 2019 Spring Regional Symposium in Seattle. And uh, you know, for those of us that'll be there, we look forward to meeting you in person. And you know, for everyone else, uh, there's registration is open, and uh, we encourage people to check out the program and to to make the trip. So, Tammy, thank you for sharing a bit of your time and some of the background on what uh, what we can look forward to at the Spring Regional Symposium. Thank you very much. I'm excited for everybody to come to Washington. Well, very good. So, we'll be back with a little bit more of the ENA podcast in just a moment. The ENA website has all the information you'll need to know for the 2019 Spring Regional Symposium. Visit ena.org events and click on the Spring Regional Symposium tab to find out how to register and to learn about all of the different educational sessions being offered in Seattle, Washington on April 25th and 26th. Okay, and welcome back to the ENA podcast. We are doing a bit of a roundup here this month, touching on as many different ENA-related topics as we can as you've already heard, and we're gonna move on now to talking about the big event coming up in late September, early October, that is Emergency Nursing 2019 in Austin, Texas. I'm happy to have with me Kim Brandenburg from the Educational Planning Committee. Kim, how are you today? I'm doing wonderful, thank you so much for having me. So Kim, um, you've been a part of the Education Planning Committee for conference for a couple of years now. Talk a little bit about what your role has been for 2019. Well, this year I was fortunate enough to be the chairperson for our education committee. So um, a little bit more responsibility than in the past years, um, but we definitely have an amazing group, a really diverse group of individuals from um, coast to coast and Canada this year. And we really have put together um, an amazing, amazing conference. Um, we had so many, um, wonderful and different abstracts to choose from that it was almost impossible. So um, kudos to my team and it's been a lot of fun leading them so far. So let's talk a little bit about that process and, and for people who are listening and say the, uh, the first information about the educational sessions that'll be offered in Austin, that'll be coming out in about a month, just about the same time that registration uh, for conference will also be opening up. But uh, Kim, tell me a little bit about really what this process is like. I mean, how many submissions did you get for this year? And then what do you do once those submissions are in hand? So this year we had close to 500 um, submissions. We put the call for abstracts out in a little different way than we have in the past two years that I've been involved. Um, this year we did ask for not only concurrent sessions and fast tracks like we have in the past, but we also asked for Ignite sessions, um, lightning sessions, debates, um, these short five-minute talks. Um, once we received those and, and people that were willing to maybe adapt their abstracts into something um, to fit one of those other sessions, um, we started with each uh, person on the committee getting about 70 abstracts to review. The process was done by four different reviewers and then again by myself and two of the staff members. So we really had a great um, mean and, and pretty equal um, rating for all of them. This year, the competition was so high that um, it, 
I'll just say that it was fierce. There were some amazing, amazing submissions. And we have a little bit smaller footprint this year, um, just due to the size of our facility um, that we'll be having EN19 at. So we really took the time to make sure that um, what's going to be presented is, is the best of the best. So we feel really confident about um, how strategic we were and also how many reviewers we had for each session to really get a good um, mean and, and um, congruent average. Okay, so what what were some of the themes? I mean, you don't necessarily have to get specific about what sessions made it and didn't make it, but what were some of the themes of what people wanted to present at conference this year? Well, I, I think like other years, we wanted to do a really round um, or, or diverse offering. We make sure we had a, plenty of trauma, which is always in our um, reviews of, of previous years, always, you know, something that's high on the recommended list for the next year. So trauma, pediatrics, um, we do have some geriatric trauma. We have a lot of clinical, advanced practice clinical um, leadership. But one thing that I think we were really able to fill in a robust way this year that we hadn't in the past is a new forensics track. So there were um, quite a, a few um, that stood out, but there is a ton. Um, so we could actually open up a track, if you will, for people interested in forensics, sane nursing, and um, the like. Okay. So when you first got involved with the educational planning community a couple of years ago, what were sort of your expectations? I mean, this seems like this is a tremendous responsibility, but also seems like a nice little fun behind the behind the scenes way to to get a sense of really what is important to nurses and what they want to see and what they want to learn about when they take the time and, and spend the resources to come out to conference wherever it's at. To just talk about what it's been like to be a part of this for the last few years. Sure. So I've been attending conference for about 15 years now as an attendee. Um, I have always been interested in, in planning um, educational conferences, and I've done that for our state of Nebraska for several years. So when the option or the opening came up um, to apply for the committee uh, in 2016, um, I did that with little to no understanding of what it would entail. Um, I, was, I was very surprised at how... Uh, talented this committee is and how stringent we really do um, utilize each other's strengths to kind of make sure we're getting the best of the best um, speakers, but also um, kind of stemming from President Patty um, Coons's, you know, message of diversity and in inclusion. We really tried to look this year at, um, you know, the diversity of the committee to make sure that what we're offering is you know, maybe a representation of, of who our members really are. Sure. So that was a little different this year. Um, I, I love to teach. That's my other passion. I teach at a, a liberal arts college um, as well as an ER nurse. But the one thing that I love to do is to make sure that everybody um, has their own, you know, piece as a committee member into putting this conference together. So this year we changed the way that this committee functions um, not only did they review the abstracts as we had in the past, but they were also given a special assignment. Um, and what that assignment was is some piece of the conference that's a little different this year, and they were able to work together with another committee member and really make it their own and have a piece in developing it. So um, the bar was set a little higher this year than the last two years that I've been involved. So the big question for me, you know, knowing that how deeply involved you've been, especially with the planning for this year, when you're at conference, 
how do you choose what sessions to go to? Or do you even have time because of other responsibilities to go and sit in on some of these sessions and actually see the product that you accepted and you entered into, uh, inter entered into the, you know, the educational offerings for such a big event? That's a great question. So in the past, I was a trauma program manager. So the trauma track always interests me. Um, so that's kind of a, a easy answer. Um, we don't have a lot of time as committee members, but what we did like to do is um, we're all assigned a, a uh, kind of, oh, maybe about 15 to 20 presenters that we then help them throughout the rest of this process to get to the stage and the final um, presentation. So what I always tried to do is get to their presentations and be able to give them positive feedback and just relax them prior to talking if this was their first time. So um, as far as this year, how people will choose, I believe just seeing some of the um, speakers that we have, you know, might pull people in one direction, but I really hope that people this year will um, try and diversify and maybe don't just go to trauma lectures, but some of the other um, lectures that are offered. We did do something as a special assignment with the app this year. So there are some really amazing um, points and award-based um, options to get some prizes at the end um, based off of going to different diverse sessions and not just trying focusing on one track. So um, hopefully that answers your question. Absolutely. I, it, it, what it sounds like when you put it into a nutshell is that people are going to have so many options that you are encouraging people to actually look at some things beyond maybe what they normally would and just to really explore the diversity of, of what they can hear and see and who they can meet. I know that's a huge part of these different sessions is the opportunity to network with peers and other educators who uh, have obviously risen to a high level to be able to present. And, you know, it just creates a, a great learning environment, I think, uh, across the board for people to interact and network, but also walk away with the skills that they can use or information they can use in their own EDs. So it, it sounds like the, uh, the hard work is done, you know, from the, from the education standpoint. Is that a, a fair statement here as we, we get into the middle of March? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> the hard work is just beginning. Okay. Well, it's just so. beginning. Um, so when I said we changed the format, you know, and it's a challenge for people to want to go to an Ignite session, not knowing what an Ignite session means or going to a debate talk instead of a 60 minute concurrent. So a lot of what we're doing is taking these um, abstracts and putting them into a really um, wonderful and dynamic session. So there's, there's quite a bit of work going on at the opening and closing sessions. We have the message. We have, um, you know, I guess overall, we wanted Awesome Austin to be just a really fast-paced, hands-on, um, different footprint. One of the things we're doing that I think it would be um, wrong for me not to bring up is we have a clinical skills session which is going on on every day where um, attendees can sign up for 30 minute sessions and every day they'll go through with advanced clinical providers and be able to do a different session um, every day. So that has been a project that is continuing to evolve and we really hope people take the time to um, you know, to take advantage of that. We're also working really diligently on um, the exhibit hall offerings. So that is also a, a tremendous piece of work in progress. But um, 
yeah, overall, I think that's probably um, the best message I can give is there's a lot of work left to do, but that initial piece and that initial excitement has, has started for sure. Very good. So we're, like I said, we're about a month away from registration opening up and also, you know, the, the first rush of information about what, uh, what type of educational sessions will be available. It's all about a month away. So obviously watching, if you're listening to this, obviously watching what ENA is posting to its social media and also looking at the, the conference webpage uh, on the ENA website. As all that information starts to get shared, I, I think people will see the same level of excitement that you've described here in terms of the diversity of offerings and just really the opportunity to really take away a lot from a conference, which I think is what we hear on a regular basis. People do um, absorb a lot and they're uh, not only reinvigorated to go back to work, but they're also going back better suited and better armed for for work because of the things they take away from conference. So uh, Kim Brandenburg from the Education Planning Committee, the chairman of the uh, Education Planning Committee for Emergency Nursing 2019. Thanks for taking a few minutes of your time today to talk about it. I wish you the, the best of luck as you continue to put together what's gonna be, um, to steal the, the, the phrase that pays, uh, it's going to be an awesome event in Austin coming up in, uh, in only about uh, six and a half months or so. Thank you so much for having me. It's gonna be an amazing event. Very good. Ken Brandenburg, thank you again. Uh, we'll be back with more of the ENA podcast in just a moment. Back now to wrap up this mega episode of the ENA podcast with a reminder that you can keep tabs on everything Emergency Nursing 2019 by following us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, as well as on our website where in just a couple of weeks registration will open and the release of educational session information will happen like I said, just in a couple of weeks here in early April. I want to offer a big thank you to Kim Brandenburg, Rob Kramer, Matt Powers, Joe Blansfield, Shannon Kane, and Tammy Weldon for taking the time to talk to us about a little bit of everything on this episode of the podcast. We thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us next time on the ENA Podcast.